Be Wealthy and Smart, episode number 170. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. Have you heard Jason Hartman on the Creating Wealth podcast yet? He's got so much great information about real estate. If you like this podcast, I know you're going to like his too. On today's show, we have loan officer Dana Zito-Bator, who is going to share with us some great information about getting loans today for first-time home buyers, people who are refining, people who have HARP loans, all kinds of great information here. I know you're going to really enjoy this. Here we go. Let's talk about the first-time home buyer. And, you know, here they are. They're excited about looking at a house or they've made an offer. It's been accepted. What do you advise the next step for them is for them to do? I would advise people to do some homework on their own. I think that most people wake up one day and say, I think I want to buy a house today. And they really have no idea what that entails. And I talk to people every single day that I need to educate on the process from start to finish. And that means everything that they need and everything that they're going to pay for and all of the costs that are involved with buying real estate. Um, and, and people are surprisingly not well informed about what the fees are in each in their area when it comes to purchasing real estate. So I would say that people need to start, you know, get on Google and start looking into, you know, what it, what it takes to buy property in your specific area. There's, there are fees and costs that are associated in individual counties, let alone cities and states. So they're all going to be very specific to your area. Um, so that would be my first, my first tip. And then also I would say look into different types of lenders because all lenders are not created equal. Um, there's many different forms of lending. And most people think that when you need a loan, you might go to your bank, um, your, your retail bank, your, your global full service bank that offers your checking and saving. Um, most people do think of that as where they would go to get a home loan. They aren't necessarily the best outlets for residential real estate lending, um, simply because it's not their bread and butter. And there's a lot of overhead involved with their operation. So they may find fees and rates are lower elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a fan of going somewhere where you can get quotes from multiple. Uh, exactly. You, yeah, so that you have some, you, you know, what I've seen over the years is that different loans are going to vary in different ways and there's going to be mm-hmm. one loan that fits a person better than another loan fits a person perhaps. Definitely. I've had people say to me before, well, you know, what's the difference? We just go somewhere, you know, we just go with whomever's off- offering the lowest rate. 
well, that's all well and good, but if they can't deliver the loan, if if they can't get you qualified and closed, what good is that interest rate they offered you? It's no good at all. And there's different types of lenders for that very reason. There's mortgage bankers. Um, they originate and sell their loans on the secondary market directly to the GSAs, like Fannie and Freddie, along with private investors. Then they also have portfolio lenders, and they have access to those programs, meaning they'll service the loan for the – they'll collect your payments for the entire life of the loan. Um, they may offer depository accounts, um, but because they hold the loan – and they're willing to make exceptions in certain areas. And, you know, I think of every loan as a custom product. Not everyone fits into the same box, but Fannie and Freddie write lending rules so that they apply to everyone. So it's important to know what exactly you need and what sort of lender will be able to fit what, what you're looking for. I would say that mortgage bankers that offer portfolio products and correspondent lending um, and direct mortgage lenders are the best because they have an array of products for pretty much every situation. Um, if you're working with a mortgage broker, they are representing different lenders, but ultimately they're a middleman. And they're connecting you with people that they may find to back the loan. So there's, there's some uncertainty there. And even when you go to a retail bank, like, you know, the, the big banks that I, I don't need to mention, um, they will have their own overlays, meaning they'll narrow down the box that people, um, that their clients, that they'll qualify, um, based on who they want to lend to. So while Fannie and Freddie may have very broad guidelines um, of a particular retail bank, they want to narrow those and select only a certain pool of very qualified people to lend to. So you may or may not fit into their guidelines, where you may fit into a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac direct product perfectly, um, but not necessarily through the retail bank that you, you think you might get your loan through. Mm-hmm. And depending on whether someone's self-employed or works for a company, that might affect what lender you might put them with. Perhaps there's different absolutely that, that different lenders have. So you you have to take into account the points as well as the interest rate. So there's all sure. kinds of circumstances, and, and then the amount of the house probably is another determinant for which lender you go with. Absolutely, it's my job to not only know where I can take your loan, but where I can't, who I should avoid. Because ultimately, my goal is to get you into your home at the lowest interest rate, the lowest fees, but also taking the path of least resistance. You know, nobody wants to hear midway through the the purchase process or their financing that they don't qualify. And there's a lot of variables at the outset that we don't know. Um, so it's important to vet and speak with people in depth about their financial situation and the criteria and determine not only where we should take their loan, but where we shouldn't. Um, self-employed can be very tricky, and it, and, and it does include me um, requesting lots and lots of financial information. Um, but once I have that at my fingertips, I can tell you exactly what sort of qualifying income I can use and who might be a good fit and who might not because of 
particulars in your situation. Um, and as a, as a retail mortgage company, um, we have negotiated rates. We are selling our loans in gigantic pools so that um, our, our fees are, are lower and so are our interest rates because it's not one $200,000 mortgage that we're selling. It's a pull of mil- hundreds of millions of dollars. So we're going to get rates negotiated better than what you would be able to get personally just by walking into your own financial institution. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a big fan of getting pre-approval so that, you know, before they even go and look at a house, they've got their loan intact. What advice do you have for people getting pre-approved? I would say that a lot of people push back on the idea of a credit pool in the beginning. And what I would say to that is it's really a waste of your time and everyone's time, including a realtor and a mortgage banker or a loan officer, whomever you're working with, to discuss your situation and hypotheticals and then come to find out down the road that you really don't qualify for that house or your credit, there's an issue that needs to be resolved before you can move forward. Um, Credit reports last for up to 120 days before they expire. And I know that there's a a great misconception about having your credit run by multiple institutions that will negatively impact your credit score. There is some truth to that, but in a short period of time, it won't hurt you. Um, If you can consolidate those inquiries within a two-week span and really shop around and let everyone deal with the exact same set of criteria, so you are comparing apples to apples versus, you know, apples to oranges, um, I, I think it's in everybody's best interest to do so at the outset. Provide everything that you, this loan officer, your, your bank is requesting, and that's financials, that's assets, um, that's your credit report, so that you truly know what you qualify for. You can address any um, obstacles in the beginning rather than have to switch gears down the road. Um, so I absolutely think that getting pre-approved is, is very important. A lot of realtors won't take a client out looking at houses unless they know they've been pre-approved uh, they've had a credit run, and they've provided financial documentations to some lender, um, and they can they can put in writing that they were pre-approved. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the terminology has gotten a, a bit more complex nowadays? I I do, and I don't think that there's any real practical source for this information. Just like you know, I find it's hard to get. Um, real practical information on investing or, you know, they don't seem to really teach home economics in, in school anymore. And it's so important because look what it, you know, look what the housing market um, and our economy, how, how hand in hand they go. And if people knew kind of what they were getting themselves into or were better educated, better prepared, I think they would, there would have been maybe different, um, repercussions since 2008, but a lot of times what your lender doesn't know will hurt you. And if you have a particular situation where, um, I've seen it many times where people are buying a home from family, they don't think that there's anything out of the ordinary with that. And there really isn't, but to a lender, to a bank, they're looking at that like a non arm's length transaction. And that term might, just be completely foreign to someone. 
all it means is you've got two parties that have some sort of business affiliation and they're not completely disinterested. So there's, there's needs to be a little bit more um, background in appraisals and making sure that one party's not bailing out the other. And you'll, you'll get different guidelines pertaining to those transactions that people would never think of at the beginning. They would just think this is a private sale between two parties, but it is a bit more complicated. And there's a, there's a lot of instances um, surrounding different quirks with lending. Like I said, everything is custom. It's Most people don't fit into a very small box. Yeah. So can you give an example of maybe two very different situations? Sure. Um, I think that what comes to mind in the past was I had a I had a father and a son and they wanted to purchase a property. The father was willing to be what's called a non-occupying co-borrower and it just meant he was co-signing for his son. And when I had spoken to him, he was in a particular market out west where a major retail bank was really the prime player for lending and he went through the entire process and came to find out they didn't, they didn't qualify. And the reason was um, this bank did not consider his income as qualifying income. They would not um, blend ratios. That means you take the son's income and the father's income and put those together. And as, as long as they qualify together for the new property, including all outstanding debts and liabilities, they qualify to buy. Um, so that was not possible through that retail bank. And I knew that I could do what they were in need of through Freddie Mac because Freddie does allow non-occupying co-borrowers to help another person qualify by blending their ratios. So I knew that at the outset, and but he, that was not something that he would necessarily know to ask for. So a lot of this information isn't isn't public. It's it, it's not proprietary, but it's not really anything that you would find unless you know what to look for. You know, I think the television ads give us the impression that we can go online and apply for these loans and have them make offers to us, and it's sort yes. of a different uh, impression than what you're telling us. Is, is that the case? <laughs> Well, um, I think my company, for example, we're very high-tech and high-touch. We use a lot of innovative technology and really quick and efficient practices to um, tell people at the beginning, you know, this is what we can offer you. There's a different model that still exists where you need to make an appointment, go in, sit down with somebody in front of a computer, have a discussion. Um And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think we live in a much more fast-paced world, so that might not work for everyone anymore. Um, It it does require having some knowledge on your own and then speaking to different lenders. You know, a credit union, they're great outlets for lending. Not all people meet the requirements to join a credit union, so when you do have access to the programs, they're really, really competitive. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways, it is easy to apply for a loan if if you know what you're looking for and you know what you need. And then there's a lot of stumbling blocks, too. Um, for example, most people don't know that if you're under contract to buy a condo, not every bank or lender 
can lend in every building. So there's nothing out there that says, you know, can we finance your home in this building? In Chicago, where we are, and that's a predominant property type, so it's really important when someone goes under contract or makes an offer, they need to know that their chosen financial institution can actually make a loan there. Um, and so that's one thing that we have access to. I can tell you pretty much at the beginning of the process, yes, we've been actively lending in this building, or these are the hurdles we might face um, so that we don't have to switch gears down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I remember back in 2008, there was the big uproar about liar loans or loans that require no documentation. <laughs> have those loans yes. come back, or what's the status on that? Um, you know, it's funny. A couple, I would say a couple years ago, um, maybe I think it was 20, late 2014, early 2015, there was, there was talk of some stated income loan programs coming back. And there are still hard money lenders out there that will offer them. Your terms are going to be much higher than market interest rates. Um, I think that we will see them come back in some sense, not to the extent that they, that they were in 2004 to, through 2008, but, you know, ultimately people do need some, some alternative lending, uh, products. And I think there will still always be a market for them. Mm-hmm. What kind of interest rates are we looking at now for fixed and adjustable? We are seeing still historically low interest rates, so mid threes for a 30-year fixed, uh, low threes for a 20-year, high twos for a 15-year fixed. Arm rates are pretty firmly in the twos and threes. Um, and as much as there's been talk of increasing interest rates, um, you know, it We've been hearing that for years, and the trend has gone the other way. So it remains to be seen if we will really see an increase. Um, I think our economy is really tied into the housing market. We see mortgage applications dip every time rates move and bounce up. So to really keep things moving, I think that I think that low interest rates are here to stay. Well. I don't know whether they are or not, but I, I like fixed rates at 3%, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. It's practically free money. Yeah, exactly. So tell us about this HARP program that we keep hearing about on television. Is that something that you deal with, and do you know much yes. about that? Um, absolutely. I've done a lot of HARP refis in my career. Not so much anymore, and they were set to expire in December 2015. I think they were extended again through the end of 2016. Um, but they were great products for people who found themselves underwater, meaning their loan balance was higher than their value of their property by no fault of their own. They made their payments, they put 20% down, and the housing market around them crumbled, and they just did not have the equity that they once did. So HARP... Uh, allowed you to refinance, even if you were underwater, even if your loan balance were 125% of your actual home's market value. And interest rates were fantastic. If you didn't have mortgage insurance in the beginning, you would not have it with a HARP refinance. Um, We could do Fannie and Freddie HARP refis without an appraisal. So we would just run the 
um, loan scenario through our automated underwriting, and if it gave uh, an accept on the value, we would get a, a an appraisal waiver. Um, so they were very quick and easy. They saved people a lot of money. I haven't done a HARP refi in a couple, in quite some time, I would say at least a year. So they're kind of dwindling. Um, there was a cutoff date. So any any loans that were refinanced prior to 2009, um, it, it, they were eligible. But beyond 2009, if you did any sort of financing after May of 2009, you were ineligible. Um, and your loan had to have been sold and owned by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. There's a lot of people out there that I found that they didn't they didn't qualify for these products and they had no idea why. And it was really unfair, um, but ultimately it came down to how their loan was sold on the secondary market after it was originated. So we would find all the time on credit reports it would just say conventional loan, and then you would call your lender and they would say, sorry, you're not eligible. Um, and, and most people didn't get a great explanation but they loans were being sold in bundles, and maybe the group of loans that it was sold in had some sort of credit enhancement, um, or it was a low documentation, and it would not qualify. So for the people that could use them, they're fantastic. Um, some people just didn't have access to them at this point. Hopefully, their equity is rebounded, and they were able to refinance out of high interest rates into these Three percent, four percent rates. Is that why you think there's not many harps being done right now because people aren't underwater like they used to be? I think most harp um, people who needed them, they're they're less common now because they were supposed to expire in 2015. Um, they're less common, I think, because most people that needed them took advantage of them in sort of the the heyday. And I think for us that was 2009 through 2011. Even 2012, they were really, really common. Um, but you would find a lot of people weren't eligible because they did some sort of financing after 2000, May of 2009, and they found themselves in a situation where they couldn't, they were beyond that threshold. And HARP is a one-and-done program. It's one-time only. So if you've done it in the past and interest rates are even lower now, you can't execute it again. I see. So would you say that money is still pretty easy, even though, I mean, with interest rates so low, we tend to think that that's the case. But besides that, do you think the application process now is easier or more difficult than you've seen it? Um, it's a tricky one. Uh, it depends. It depends on the situation. I think that my company, for example, has made it really easy for people to apply online, um, upload their documents to a secured file sharing site. We can review them right away and pretty much give people an explanation or an approval in 24 hours or less. Um, if you have a complicated financial picture, it may take some extra time, but I would encourage people to just speak with someone in detail about what they need and what their finances are. So when you say a complicated financial picture, do you mean bad credit scores? What, what are you referring to? I would say people that are self-employed with multiple businesses um, or credit issues that can be resolved quickly. Um, there's something called a disputed account, and many people find that they have issues on credit, they'll dispute it with the bureaus. 
that actually can work against them because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac don't want to see any disputed accounts on credit. So if we catch that early, we can actually have them take it out of dispute. But that if, if it's something that's not caught until midway through the loan process, obviously that can create a delay. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Well, wow, this has been so helpful, Dana. Tell people where they can find you and how they can reach you. Um, probably on my company website. Um, I'm with Guaranteed Rate, and it's www.guaranteedrate.com backslash Dana Zito. I'm on LinkedIn. My office line is 847-592-9201. Great. And can you work with people all over the country or just in the Chicago area? We are nationwide. We lend in every state. And I've helped people in Alaska. I've closed loans in the Virgin Islands um, and pretty much everywhere in between. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Dan. Thank you so much for having me, Linda. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.